Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Well, it is good to be with you this morning in the pulpit in the stead of Alan. Uh, He is on vacation this morning, and so uh, I am grateful that you came even though you knew he would not be here. And so you can go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to Leviticus uh, chapter 26. And so as you're turning there, uh, I do want to ask you a rhetorical question. And so for those of you that don't know what that word means, don't say anything, okay? But I do want you to think about this question, right? What have you been reading in God's Word? What are you daily and systematically reading in God's Word? Right? And also, as we push into that, what is God teaching you through those means? You see, I I and us as a staff, we want to corporately and individually, we want to push, we want to encourage, we want to hold one another accountable to reading God's Word on a regular basis. And so sometimes we call that a quiet time, we call that a daily Bible study, we call it different things, but whatever you call it, we want to make sure that you know that your expectation as a child of God is to read God's Word so that you know what is in there. And so, are you reading the Word of God? You see, our church is doing um, a read-through-the-Bible plan. How many of y'all are doing the church's read-through-the-Bible plan? Started in Genesis, we're going to hopefully get to Revelation. Awesome, several of y'all are doing it. I have to confess, I'm not doing it. Uh, I'm doing my own thing, doing a a chronological read-through. So I'm about a month behind where the rest of you are, uh, about a book behind, uh, roughly, of reading through the Bible. And it was in my daily time that I came across a passage we're going to look at today from Leviticus 26. And so uh, a few weeks ago, I think February, um, I, I came across this passage. And as I was reading it in my daily time, I was encouraged by it. I was convicted by it. And I thought, you know, if the, if the Lord was to providentially provide an opportunity for me to preach, I, I thought I might do that. And lo and behold, a few days later, Alan came into my office and asked me to pinch hit for him this morning so he and his family could enjoy a little respite this this day. Um, And so I thought, boom, there it is. The Lord has provided. And so we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 26 this morning. And so I want to ask you a question. How many of you like the book of Leviticus? That wasn't a rhetorical question, but I believe I got the same answer whether it was rhetorical or not. And so I've discovered that as I interact with Christians that a lot of people don't enjoy the book of Leviticus. And so I just want to say, why don't you love the Lord? All right, I'm teasing, uh, but seriously, um, you know, there are some books that we find more enjoyable than others. Am I right or is it just me? Some of y'all would agree with that? Um, all right, Kevin Stewart doesn't like any of the books, but uh, most of us, there are certain books that, that, that appeal to us for a variety of reasons. And I was confessing with Alan and Aaron, just, or not Aaron, Aaron wasn't in a conversation, we were talking about the Bible, and so he wasn't there. Uh, I'm teasing, Aaron loves the Lord, I'm just teasing, okay? Lighten up. All right, so um, Alan and Jake and I were talking about books of the Bible, and I confessed to those guys this week that, that the book of Isaiah is a book that I, I struggle with. Like, it's not a book that I just love, 
but it's a book that is very paramount to our faith, right? There's a lot of prophecy. There's a lot of talk about Jesus in there. And so I just, I just want to confess before you guys, as I give you a hard time about not liking Leviticus, that I want to confess my shortcomings as well. Because I believe that we oftentimes don't enjoy certain books of God's Word because we're ignorant of them. We don't spend time reading them. And the more that we read those books of God's Word, they, they become knowledgeable to us. We have understanding of them, and we develop a greater love and appreciation for them. And so that's what I'm loving that Alan's walking us through uh, some Old Testament passage because I believe many of us in our church, we, we uh, neglect the Old Testament. And so I want us to be a church that loves God's Word cover to cover. I want to be an individual that loves God's Word, and I want us corporately to love God's Word. And so this morning, we're going to jump into Leviticus uh, chapter 26, all right? And before we get there, I think we need to get a little bit of a, a background, a little bit of an understanding as far as what is taking place in the book of Leviticus. And so we know that Leviticus falls in uh, the first five books of the Bible, right? And so we, we believe, right, with, with historical Christianity, that Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible. We often refer to the first five books as the Pentateuch, right? Penta meaning five book, right? So five books, the five books of Moses. Sometimes they're called the Torah, sometimes the law. But these first five books and Leviticus is number three and that sequence that un unveils and unravels there in the, in the beginning of our Bible. And so we find uh, several things um, that I just want to kind of blitz through, and I'm, I'm very appreciative of Mark Dever's overview of Leviticus and his, uh, the message of the Old Testament, where I discovered a lot of these insights, but we see several things taking place in the book of Leviticus. One thing that I found intriguing was, did you know that our Liberty Bell has a passage from Leviticus stamped on it? The Liberty Bell in Independence Hall has Leviticus 25:10, proclaim liberty is stamped on the Liberty Bell. Um, and so Leviticus does not contain much narrative, but it mostly contains the instructions God gave Moses when the people of Israel were camped at the bottom of Mount Sinai. Now they're in the wilderness there, and they're there for about a year after the giving of the Ten Commandments. And so Leviticus is dealing with that interaction of God and his people. And I think we can see kind of two main takeaways from the book of Leviticus. First, we see that God's people are distinct. So they should live holy lives. Second, we see that God's people are sinful. So they should offer sacrifices. And so we see this displayed for us as we're reading the Old Testament. We're seeing that God is unlike any other deity that is known in all the land, right? And so God is distinct. He is holy. He is different from creation. And we see that his people are sinful. And we see the, the, um, the particulars of that laid out very clearly as we read about all those, those sacrifices and all the things that are needed to make atonement for the people of Israel. And so God lays those things out for us today to read, to see, and to understand, right? You see, God is describing, beginning in the beginnings of his holy word, that we, in order to find God, we must come to the end of ourselves. 
You see, God intends for all of his people to be distinct. The nation of Israel was to be distinct, right? As they, as they enter into the promised land, they're, they're a distinct people. We know that today, as children of God, those who have been redeemed by Christ, we are to be a distinct people. We're to be different. And we see God laying the groundwork for us in Leviticus. Throughout Leviticus, we also find a great deal of concerns with cleanliness and ritual purity. You see, the basic idea is that everything is divided between clean and unclean, as well as between holy and common. And we see this running throughout the book of Leviticus. And this shows us that God is indifferent about nothing. A better way of saying that is that all of life matters to God. God is concerned about every crevice, orifice, and particular habit in our lives, right? He is not un... He does not like, ah, I don't care about that. That is not the mindset that God lays out for his people from cover to cover in God's word. All of life matters. God cares tremendously about how he is worshipped. And he refused to allow his people to worship him in the way that the surrounding nations worshipped their false gods. You see, God's people should be marked not only by the holiness of don't, but also by the holiness of do. We see lots of commands in Scripture that say don't do this, but we also see lots of things that say do this. And we, as the people of God, need to understand what we shouldn't do and also what we should do. God has a desire for his people to be holy. In fact, we see from Leviticus that God desires for his people to be more holy than he desires for them to grow old. You see, our, our desires to grow old should never trump our desires to be holy. God desires for his people to be holy. Whether you're allowed a few decades or many decades of life, we are to be holy. And so we see this uh, holiness was to be the mark of the Israelites as individuals as well as a nation. And I believe that we today, we see this being played out for us as the church. God desires for us as a church to be holy. But that begins with us as individuals being holy. And so are you holy? You see, the, the motto, the Lord is holy, is demonstrated uh, several times throughout the, the, the book of Leviticus. We could say that was, that's the motto of the book of Leviticus, that God is holy. And that he desires his followers to be holy. And so are we desiring to be holy? You see, Beaverdam Baptist Church should have the reputation in this community for holiness. A reputation that both comforts and unsettles our neighbors. Our holiness should comfort our neighbors, but it should also unsettle them, right? When we see the holiness of God in the book of Leviticus, it comforts and it unsettles. That, uh, that dichotomy of what the emotion that is elicited from the holiness of God. And so I wonder, are we those type of people? Are we as 
a gathered community, are we holy, are we comforting, and at the same time unsettling our neighbors because of our devotion and our holiness before God? What Leviticus makes absolutely clear is that sinful people need atonement. We're going to talk about that atonement in Sunday school today. Praise be to God that we no longer have to kill animals on the daily to be made right with God. God's concern with the nation of Israel is summarized in chapter 26 where we get today, right? It's a list of blessings for obedience and a longer list of threats for disobedience. And so because I'm a good guy, a nice guy, I want to focus on the good stuff. We're going to do this being the first 13 verses of Leviticus chapter 26, right? We're not going to uh, dig in uh, to that longer list of the disobedience and the, the threats that God, the punishments that he will deliver for those of us who are disobedient. However, I would encourage you this afternoon to maybe read the rest of Leviticus 26 to see the full scope of who God is, right? How he is willing and desires to treat his people. Now, let us look together at Leviticus 26, verses 1 through 13, and I want to give you four tasks to demonstrate your obedience this day, this week, and in this life. You see, our obedience is directly related to our rejoicing in the Lord. Aaron read that, that great passage from, from Philippians, to, to rejoice in the Lord. And I believe that that is our, our heartbeat. We should rejoice in the Lord. But I believe our obedience is, re, is related to our rejoicing in the Lord. If you're not rejoicing in the Lord, I don't think you're going to be obedient unto Him. And so I believe we see here four tasks that, that lead us, that are needed of us, in order to rejoice in the Lord. So the sermon's title is Rejoice in the Lord. And we're going to look, I'm, I've gone full Southern Baptist pastor and everything's going to have an R today, okay? Uh, so Rejoice in the Lord is our title. We're going to look at four tasks. They're remove idols, we're to rest in the Lord, we're to rely on the Lord, and we're to recognize the Lord, right? We're going to remove, rest, rely, and recognize. All right, let's jump into Leviticus 26 and let's see what we got here. Ready? Read with me in your copy of God's Word as I read through those 13 verses corporately with us. All right. Chapter 26, verse 1. You shall not make idols for yourselves, or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Verse 3. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down. And none shall make you afraid, and I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. Verse 7, you shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase down a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand. And your enemy shall fall 
before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long kept and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you and my, and my soul shall not abhor you. Verse 12. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. You see, chapter 26 of Leviticus, as I've already stated, contrasts the, the blessings of obedience with the punishments for disobedience. And we see these, these blessings in these first 13 verses. And so our first two R's that we want to, to, to look at of demonstrating our obedience come from the first two verses. Task number one is to remove idols. Remove idols. We find in, in, in 26 verse 1 these words. You shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar. And you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. You see, this is the second commandment that we read about in Exodus 20, verse 4, right? Reveals there are to be no graven images. But yet we see the Israelites, we read that in, in, Deut or in Exodus 20, and then in Exodus 32, we read about that episode uh, of the Israelites, right? You remember that episode where, where Moses is on the mountain, he's talking to God, and what do the people of God, what do they do? Are they like, oh, man, I'm so glad Moses is talking to the Lord. I can't wait to hear from him. Can't wait to see what he has for us. No, they get, dis they get discouraged. They get disgruntled. They, they, they act like us, right? And they're like, oh, we should go back to Egypt. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't even know what happened to that dude, Moses. Like, what? The Aaron, make us a God that we could worship, right? And Aaron abdicates his roles and responsibilities as a leader, and he acquiesces to the request of the sinful people. And he's like, oh, you want a God? Well, bring me some gold. Let's throw it in the fire and see what happens. And out comes this, this idol of a bull, right, that they want to worship. And God, knowing all this, tells Moses. Moses comes down, and it's a whole issue and a whole ordeal. And, and we sometimes, I guess I sometimes, think, you know, that... that you know, Ten Commandments, like, number two had to be don't create an idol. Like, that seems silly to me. Like, really, you had to tell them that, God? Like, yet, when the reality is he's, he's still telling us that today, right? That, that we, we, much like the Israelites, are prone to, to wanting to go back to our sinful ways, right? And so, so Moses, he, he gives via God these, these Ten Commandments, and the second one says, do not create any graven images. Do not, do not do this. And it's amazing to me as I've been reading through the Old Testament to see how God has providentially cared for the Israelites, right? As he brings them out of captivity, right? The, the ten plagues, right? Like we're just in awe. We read those and I don't know that we stop and just think about the severity and the intensity of each of those ten plagues. But they would have seen that in real time. Right? They would have smelt death. They would have, they would have seen the blood in the water. They would have seen all those magnificent, magnificent displays of God's glory. 
They saw that God crushed the most um, terrifying army on the planet in the water of the Red Sea. They would have seen that with their own eyes, right? They wouldn't have read about it in a history book. They saw that. They saw God. They tasted. They, they ate daily by the miraculous feeding of God. They saw all those things firsthand. And yet, time and time again, we read that they desire to go back to Egypt. Are you kidding me? That's where they want to go? And yet, every time when I read that, the Holy Spirit penetrates my heart and, and, and breaks me of my own sinfulness and my desire for the things of this world over the things of God. You see, I don't know that any of us are fashioning, we're whittling out a one, you know, oak tree, some statue like this, and we're, we're bowing down, and we're paying homage to it, and we're like, oh, you know. We're, I, don't, I don't think any of us are guilty of doing those things in our, in our modern way of thinking in our modern day. But friends, how often do we set up idols in our life? How many idols have we built up in our life? Some of them share a bed with us. Some of us have made our spouse an idol. Some of us have made our children idols. Some of us have, have been chasing that American dream, right, to, to retire at the age of 50 or to retire ever, right? Um, we're, we've made so many idols in our life. And what we see, and I, I, was, I was reading in my quiet time this morning in Deuteronomy, right, in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, and where, where God gives like uh, 15 verses that just lay out again before we see the, the Ten Commandments in, in Deuteronomy 5, um, we see that, that God is once again saying, do not be idolatrous. This is a problem that has plagued humanity from the beginning of the good book until the very end. And so, do not be so arrogant as to think that you and I are not prone to that archaic way of worship. What are the idols in your life? What is the desire of your heart? Even as Christians, we are prone toward wickedness and idolatry. The great reformer John Calvin has famously stated that the human heart is an idol factory. O.S. Guinness and John Steele declare that idolatry is the most discussed problem in the Bible. We see in the book of Acts and in the book of 1 Corinthians, we see the, the dealing of uh, idolatry, right? In, in Acts 7, verses 39 to 40, Stephen, right, before he's murdered, before he's martyred, he... he describes that episode uh, of the Israelites before Moses. And he says this in verses 39 to 40 of chapter 7 of Acts. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 to 14, he talks about the issue of idolatry. And in his final plea, he matches what we're trying to get at here in our first point. He says, flee from idolatry. 
Friends, this is not just an Old Testament Israelite issue. It is an issue that confronts each and every one of us on a daily basis. And if you think you are not prone to it, thus go you. Would we be a people who would fall on our face daily before the Lord, confessing our need of Him, confessing our, our own depravity, our own desire to, to, to do what feels good versus what God has said is good. Our hearts are wicked and they are bent toward sinning. We, as a people of God, must daily confess our need, our trust, our dependence, our loyalty to our Christ, to our God. For us this morning, we must remove idols in our life. This might take the form, but it's definitely not limited to the following. I just, these are just random. But one, we must remove the American dream. We must remove the facade of Facebook living. We must remove the false hope of of family vacations every time the kids are out of school. We must remove the empty satisfaction of the latest gadget. Now, friends, these things are not bad in and of themselves. It's when we place them on a pedestal above and beyond our devotion to our God. And so those are things I struggle with. I don't know what the things that you struggle with, but the Lord does. Are you evaluating your life? Are you recognizing where your sin and your struggles, where they come? Where the enemy is attacking you? In order to rejoice in the Lord, we must first remove idols. Second, I believe we must rest in the Lord. Verse 2, look there. You shall keep my Sabbaths and, re- and you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Verses 1 and 2 address specific commands. The first is presented negatively as a prohibition, and the second is stated positively. Once again, we find Moses repeating one of the commandments. This time, he's quoting the fourth commandment about the Sabbath. You see, we spent one of our, le- one of our weeks in life group talking about Sabbath, rest. We talked a few weeks ago in Sunday school about the Lord's Day. And so uh, I would love to, to unpack and look at the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, how those things work together. Uh, but for our time this morning, I do want us to understand that the Old Testament is, is in view when the New Testament is written. You see, I, I believe that the, the New Testament authors writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they're, they're writing with a, with a mindset, I just believe this, that, that we would know the Old Testament. Because their audience would have been familiar with the Old Testament. And I wonder, are we familiar with the Old Testament? It's, it's phenomenal to me, as we, as we read through the Old Testament, we see the, the precision and the care that the Lord gives to the worship of Him. Right? And so we read books, we read chapters in the Old Testament that outline everything from from the way the the room is to be built, the materials that the room that God is worshipped in is built, to the garments that the priests wear. All those things are meticulously outlined. And what is done, all the blood that is spilled, why it's spilled, when it's spilled, all those things are meticulous. And do you ever stop and wonder why? 
Why, why is this here? Why, you know, Jesus, I live this side of Jesus. Why do I need all that information? Well, can I tell you what, what God reveals to me every time when I read through the Old Testament, I see those things? I read those things, and it, it just is like a neon flashing light saying, God cares about the worship of him. He is jealous for a proper worship of him. I read that in Deuteronomy 4 this morning, verse 26, I think it is, that the Lord is jealous. He's a jealous God. He is jealous for his proper worship. He is not interested in us being casual before coming before him. So many in our day, are, we're, we're thinking about being seeker-sensitive and, and we will worship when it's convenient and if there's not too much snow on the ground and if it's just the right temperature and the kids aren't in this ball tournament and this isn't going on and our vacation plans don't in, in fear, and then I'll come and I'll worship the Lord. Friends, when we read the Old Testament, I believe, I, I'll just, I won't indict you, I'm convicted about my casual approach before God. My casual approach on the daily and my casual approach on the corporate weekly gathering with the saints of God. And so I believe when we read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is giving us a framework and is, it is putting in our mind the idea of what and how worship of God should look like. And then we see that moved and fulfilled with, with the empty tomb in Christ Jesus. And so today, we, we meet on this on Sunday instead of yesterday on Saturday because of the empty tomb. But I believe we do everything we do on this day, in this room, in this place, for the reasons that are laid out in the Old Testament. We see that God in his Old Testament is describing how the people of God are to worship him. And so I wonder... Do you rest in the Lord? Are you resting in Him? Are you obedient to, to worship Him, to keep His commandment, to worship Him? We don't come today to worship me or to worship Aaron or the choir or this room. We come to worship the God that is laid out in this holy word. And whenever we, myself, Alan, Aaron, Jake, when we do anything, that detracts or takes away from what this says. It is your responsibility because you have a high view of who God is that you call us on it. That is your responsibility. Your responsibility is to understand who God is, to worship him with your heart, your soul, your mind, and all your strength. That is why we gather. We gather to make much of him because he alone is worthy of making much of. He is much more worthy than the University of Tennessee who's playing in the SEC championship and Lord willing will win today. We do not worship an athletic team or school. We worship the God of the Bible. Do you put things above and ahead of your God? Please confess of that. Please do not leave here today without confessing. You don't need to come to me. I'm not your priest. You need to confess it to the Lord. Read the rest of chapter 26 because your day of reckoning is coming if you do not confess. Please, brothers and sisters, confess before the Lord. Might we be a people who are continually confessing our sin and our total and utter dependence upon Jesus Christ to make us right before a holy and righteous 
God. That's good. I just want to amen myself. All right. (laughs) In short, we must be a people who worship God. I have no clue where I am in my notes. Let's move to point three. In order to rejoice in the Lord, we must first remove idols. Second, we must rest in the Lord. Third, we must rely on the Lord. We see our third task comes from verses 3 through 12. Task number three is to rely on the Lord. Verse 3 tells us, If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them. Once again, um, we see the vernacular walk being utilized by the text and translation here. Uh, I think I've said this often, that, that the, the terminology walk, we see that throughout Scripture. And every time I see it, I just underline it and highlight it uh, to, to, to remind me and to demonstrate to me that, that I'm to walk with my God, right? It's not a stoic, it's not a um, laissez-faire, like I'm just sitting in a pew like God. But no, I walk with Him, right? He walks with me. He talks with me. He leadeth me, right? These, these words stimulate our understanding and our uh, involvement with our God, right? And so we see there that if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, right? Inferring the ongoing obedience as a way of life. And so is your way of life one that is summarized by the, by the description that you walk with the Lord, that you walk with the Lord. Are we a people? Do people driving down the road, do people that are at Salem or Fairview or at the gym or at Walmart, when they think of the people that are gathering in this building today, do they say, you know those people down at Beaver Dam? They walk with the Lord. Do they say that about us? Do they say that about, uh, about me on Pine and Drive? Right? Hey, you know that guy that lives at 7512 Pine and Drive? Man, he and his family, they walk with the Lord. I don't know if they do or not. My question is, am I being the type of man that demonstrates an ongoing, ongoing dependence and trust in the Lord that my life is characterized, the way I carry myself, the way I interact, the way I talk, the way I play in the snow, the way I uh, do my laundry, the way I buy my groceries, all the things that I do, does it, does it demonstrate that I'm walking in obedience to the Lord? I want us collectively to know in this room this morning that we are to walk in the statutes of the Lord and observe all of God's commandments. You see, I believe this verse sets up this section on the blessings of obedience. In fact, I think we see spelled out in the following nine verses that obeying the Lord is to our advantage. I think, I think God just lays out the blessings, the, um, and at some level, the prosperity of walking and obeying the Lord. Now, if we misinterpret we can be convinced of a prosperity gospel, right? And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, okay? Please don't mishear me. But I also believe if we misinterpret, we can belittle the magnitude of our Heavenly Father's involvement in our lives. I believe that God wants to be involved in our lives. I believe that if we obey, then He will bless Generally speaking, I believe that we see um, 
what happens if we are obedient to God as his children. Verses 4 through 12 lay out what and how God cares for his people who are obedient. And we don't have time this morning to unpack all of this and God's involvement in our daily affairs for his people. But I I believe that, once again, I'm just going to lay out uh, five R's that I believe we see God blessing is, I believe if we walk in his statutes, observe his commandments, and do them, I believe that God will, will care for his people in their real estate, their revenue, their rivalries, their reproduction, and their relationships. And so just read through that and see how God says he will take care. If we do this, then he will do that. And so the question is, are you being obedient to the Lord? The general principle being that when we obey God, life will go well. You see, it's been amazing to me, as I've read through the Old Testament, just to see, like, you know, we could all give a list of things that we just think, like, man, life's crazy right now. But as we read through the Old Testament, I've been, I've been convicted of how, how that just comes down to the micro level of me. Right? And so, like, for instance, like, when you do somebody wrong, you admit it. Right? Like, the Old Testament talks about that. Like, when you do somebody wrong, you go to them, you seek forgiveness, you admit what you did. And so I think in our day and age, in our life, we, I think we sometimes think about these things, right? Like, so if, if me and Jake are in the office and I, you know, I speak angrily to him or I'm just a jerk or whatever, um, and then I go home at night and, you know, the Holy Spirit's convicting me and I'm talking to Steph and I'm like, ah, man, I just, I feel like I, I, I lost it with Jake today. I just, I, I didn't mean to come across like that. And I did. And so I think a lot of times as Christians, that's where we kind of leave it. Like, we think, okay, well, I confess that to my spouse and, you know. And I I think we fail to confess to God. Hey, God, I blew that before you. Please forgive me. And then we fail to go the next step that when I show back up to work on the next day, that I go into Jake's office and I say, hey, Jake, man, I am so sorry, brother. Please forgive me of how I lost it yesterday. That was inappropriately, that was wrong, that was sinful. I've asked God to forgive me, will you forgive me? And we know, we know that Jake's going to say, dude, no problem, I haven't thought anything about it. That, absolutely, thank you for your humility, thank, that, absolutely. It's, we're all good, high five, you know, hug it out, whatever. We know that's going to happen, but how often do we actually do that? And I believe walking in obedience to the Lord is demonstrated in those simple acts like that. For me, not to to follow through is to be disobedient. And so I didn't do any grievous sin. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't cheat on my wife. But I did sin against God and against my brother in Christ. And so am I willing to admit that, confess that, and seek repentance? We, as the people of God, must obey. We must follow through. When we rely on the Lord, or more accurately, when we obey Him, we can hold our heads high before the Lord and others. Now, we cannot control what others do or say, but we have confidence in the sovereign hand of the Lord. So in order to rejoice in the Lord, we must first remove idols. Second, we must rest in the Lord. Third, we must rely 
on the Lord. And fourth, and finally, we must recognize the Lord. We see our fourth task in verse 13. Recognize the Lord. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt that you should not bear, you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. Do you recognize what the Lord has done for you? Do you? Do you recognize what the Lord has done for you? I believe that, that the Israelites, they struggled with recognizing what the Lord had done. It was always but, but God, but God, if you would just do this. If you, like, he'd done all these things, and yet they were always like, well, if you'll just do this, if you'll just do this. And how often are we as Christians today playing the what-if game? God, if you would just do this, right? Fill in the blank. Provide a spouse. If you would just uh, save my children. If you would just um, give me a better job. If you would just give me three more days of vacation. If you would just put $10,000 in the bank account. Whatever we put in that blank. And I'm saying, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Understand what God has done for you. And you say, well, what has God done for me? Well, if you're a child of God, he has redeemed you. He needs not do anything else for you. Do we truly believe that? I don't believe we do. I believe we think that's an assumed. Well, yeah, I know he's done that, but I want this. Stop it. Understand the weight of your sin. Understand that he owes you nothing. God does not owe you salvation. He does not owe that to me, to my children, to anybody. He is God. He is holy. I am not. My family is not. This land is not. God is gracious and merciful, and he has provided a way of salvation. And those of us that are in Christ, we should never grow weary or tired of thanking him for saving us. Are you recognizing what the Lord has done for you? You may be here this morning. You do not know him as the saving God of your life. And so I pray right now that you would just grab your neighbor, go out in the hall and ask, how can I be saved? But for the vast majority of us in here today, we would profess that we are children of God. We have been born again. We are redeemed. We are part of the elect. We are part of the chosen of God. And so are you recognizing? Are you rejoicing in what he has done for you? Do you recognize the Lord? What sins must you confess to God this morning? What idols need to be removed from your life? How might you demonstrate devotion to God by resting in the Lord? What statutes of God are you failing to walk in? How do you need to grow in knowing, understanding, and obeying the commandments of the Lord? Are you obedient to this book? I pray that before we leave this sanctuary this morning, that we would do business with the Lord. That we would not just assume that, yeah, I got dressed up. I showed up on a snowy, cold day when the pastor wasn't even there. And so, yeah, I'm good. I don't really need to do any self-evaluation. Friends, might we be humble before our God, our maker, our sustainer, to say, God, where have I transgressed you? Where is my life out of balance? Where am I making idols? Where am I prone to sin? Would you 
refine me? Would you show me my sin? And then would you confess those things? And today, put the foot in the ground to go toward the holy throne of God. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that we have the Old and New Testaments so that we can walk in your statutes and observe your commandments and do them. Amen. Would you respond to the word this morning, this week? Would that begin in this place and in this moment? You, can, you don't have to come to this altar for the Lord to hear. You can pray right where you're at. You can take your neighbor. You can take your kids. You can take your spouse. You can pray right now to the Lord where you are, confessing where you are out of step with his holy word. I'll be down front. I'd love to talk to you. If you want to join the church, you want, to, want somebody to pray over, you need some of those things, I'd, I'd be glad to do that. Aaron's going to lead us in song. If you don't want to pray, you can stand and, and sing an anthem that will, that will prayerfully influence our steps of obedience this week and the days ahead. Would you, would you do business with the Lord as you are convicted by the Holy Spirit? Aaron's come and lead us.